Prepare to experience the strongest radio allowable by law. Secrets will be revealed. Myths dispelled. From the studio gym where excuses never apply. It's Superhuman Radio with your host, Carl Lenore. Hey, hey, we have a great show planned for you today. Uh, we're going to be joined by Dr. Chris Masterjohn. We're going to get into his beautiful mind today. Chris has been on the show before uh, for many, many years, quite frankly. And a lot of his uh, recent opinions are really uh, changing the way people think about energy, nutrition, uh, supplementation, and more. So you are a true scientist, and I'll, say, I'll tell you why I say this. <clears throat> You change your position as you learn new things. I've never seen you become altercative or dig your heels in to, to protect your opinion. You give people room to have their opinions. You're never insulting. You're, you're, the, you're the hallmark of what a true scientist is and should be in a world today of people who call themselves scientists, but they are actually evangelical scientists you know they they protect their own fiefdom at all costs no i'm right i'm i'm telling you're wrong i have a lot of respect for you uh because of the demeanor in which you present the information that you present i just wanted to tell you that thanks man i appreciate that you know i think that it's it's there's really kind of two classes of, of well maybe three uh, but there's, I think what you see is a lot of the people who get altercative. What you don't see is that a lot of the people who think like true scientists are too timid to present anything and they, they shy away from going outside of their own laboratory. And so you never hear from them. So actually science is full of a lot of people who are very objective, very balanced, uh, really just searching for the truth, not out there to fight. But they're not out there at all. So you don't even see those people. So I think, I think, you know, I, I, I just happen to have a unique combination of being pretty level headed or at least trying to be, but also, uh, having enough of an ego to want to be the center of attention sometimes. So I put my stuff out there. Interesting. It, yes. Cause I was going to say you're right. Because most scientists, they avoid the limelight at all costs. In fact, a lot of scientists I find, um, become, I've, I've interviewed, I don't know how many hundreds of scientists who came on my show and said in so many words that they disagreed with the press release that was written by the, 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 the communications department at the university that ultimately got them the exposure. And they felt compelled to say that wasn't really the salient information that we learned. This is, but. The communication department says, Hey, you, you want to be a tree falling in the forest? Or you want people to pay attention? We need to yeah. do a little clickbait stuff here. Yeah. I mean, that's division of labor. It doesn't really make sense to have an academic scientist as the head of marketing. Yeah. If you so, want people to find the science, you know. Yeah. So, it is what it is. Uh, uh, originally I had an agenda that I wanted to talk about one thing. But then okay. after going to your website, chrismasterjohnphd.com, which everybody should go, you have your own podcast now, you have a fantastic blog, I kind hey. of focused on a couple things that I thought we would start out with. So the first thing wow. I wanted to talk about was your opinion of the American Heart Association's assessment 
of coconut oil recently. That seemed to really bring uh, a lot of people. Uh, and, 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 you know, and the reality is the American Heart Association is, is, is not excluded from this clickbait thing here, right? They're like, hey, coconut oil oh, is really popular. Let's write no, about it, right? No, this, this is a, this is a perfect example of what you're talking about before. Because if you read the American Heart Association paper, it doesn't sound like clickbait at all. And in fact, there's only one small section that's on coconut oil. And it comes across as incredibly balanced. I happen to know enough about the background science to see where it's not balanced. But if I didn't, if I hadn't spent years studying the various studies that they were talking about, I would have read that and said, you know, this is a great piece of work, super balanced. They're just trying to be objective and so on. But it's no coincidence that the press hopped on to the one section in the paper that was about coconut oil. And I doubt that the people who wrote the paper didn't know that that was going to happen. In fact, if you read the section about coconut oil, it's the one part of the paper that actually comes across more about public opinion than science. So they start off lamenting the fact that 72% of Americans think coconut oil is a health food and only 30-something percent of nutritionists do. And they say that this is a real serious gap that needs addressing. So I think they were extremely conscious of the fact that this paper wasn't about coconut oil. It wasn't about bashing anything, but that the press would hop on to that one little seed that they put in there for the purpose of generating dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of articles about how coconut oil is going to kill you. Coconut oil is as bad as beef. Doctors hate coconut oil. This is why coconut oil is not a health food and so on. Uh, so I think that's a, that's a great example of one thing going into the scientific paper and a totally different thing uh, going into the press releases. But, you know, I bet, I bet you anything that I, I don't want to put words in people's mouths, but the way that I read that paper, I think that if they came on your show, they would have said, Oh, we don't hate coconut oil. We don't hate the American public who thinks that. But someone in there had some hand in writing that paper who just knew that that was the piece of information that the press was going to grab onto. Right. And, and absolutely. Cause they know coconut oil is a big thing in the public vernacular right now. Everybody's talking about coconut oil. You've got people putting coconut oil in their coffee. And, and so if you, you know, if you want to attract a large audience, write about something that that large audience is engaged and invested in. If you, if you, I, I just had this discussion with Elisa. Um, but if you want to attract people, find something that everybody else says is good and find the reason to say it's bad. And then people go, Oh my God, I've got to read about that. And, 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 and quite frankly, this has nothing to do with the scientists. It has everything to do with the media and the communications people who, who partake in this game. Um, because ultimately what they do is confuse the majority of Americans and the majority of Americans don't know what is healthy. And I'm going to give you an example for a second. In the same week on the Dr. Oz show about four years ago, he both talked about beets in a good fashion and a bad fashion. Now, obviously, 
and he and, and, and I, the majority of Americans don't know that a sugar beet isn't a beet. They hear sugar beet, they think, oh, that's a beet, the beet that I eat with my salad. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, when you say beets are good on Tuesday, and then you say, hey, stay away from beets on Thursday, your audience goes, I don't know which one is true. And this happens every day now in the media. We have like them, little lemoning, lemon. What's some that? of them, do, but some of them do, but some of them forget by Thursday what happened on Tuesday. <laughs> that, and, and that is an unfortunate fact about humans. We do not pay attention to anything historically, and that is why we keep getting fooled. Quite frankly, yeah. I mean, it's it's true, but I'm not really sure that there's a boogeyman that you can blame it on. I mean, I think really what you have is there's deeply rooted psychological traits that are just burned into our biology from our evolutionary history. And what mark, I don't think marketers really change human behavior. They just look at certain threads in human behavior that they want to enrich to get what they want out of it. So it's sort of like a microbiologist, you know, doesn't, doesn't, or let's say a a biological terrorist is not going to invent anthrax they're just going to create a medium where they can get a source of it and selectively enrich that thing, right? It's something that was in the environment already there. Right. So we have these, we have these traits where we come from a tribal history and it's natural for us to say, this is our group. That's their group. We need to, you know, believe these things about that group and they're different from us and we're better than them. And, just part of group survival. And that's, you know, that's one of the traits that we have. We have other traits for altruism and compassion and all that stuff. But, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the day, if you're trying to sell something, you're going to look at that and say, well, which are the traits that are going to allow me to sell more things? And it's just sort of marketing science that when people get angry, they're more likely to share stuff. When people laugh, they're more likely to share stuff. And when things are cats, they're more likely to share stuff. So you, t- you take advantage of one of those things right. and you share yourself. Yeah. You know? Right. Uh, I want to take uh, our first commercial break. When we come back, I want you to give the rebuttal that you wrote about in your blog sure. post. How's that sound? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to take a quick commercial break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more of Dr. Chris Masterjohn. Are you suffering from signs of an unhappy gut? Diversity is the key to healthy, robust inner ecosystem. Body ecology probiotic liquids are made by fermenting organic seeds, biodynamic brown rice, and chickpeas together to create a diverse culture found nowhere else on earth. It's the secret to restoring your gut's microbiome for a healthier digestive tract, improved immune function, and longevity. Take 20% off by visiting the website shrnetwork.biz slash body eco. shrnetwork.biz slash body eco. That's B-O-D-Y-E-C-O. And using the code SHR20. Are you 35 or older? Every year after puberty, your growth hormone decreases sometimes by 50% by the age of 35. And it only keeps going down from there. This affects everything from making it harder to recover from workouts, sleep, and a general loss of a sense of well-being. It also affects your ability to get and stay lean. BioPro Plus is the first of its kind, 100% non-synthetic alternative to prescription synthetic growth hormone treatments. All the benefits without any of the needles or side effects and 100% safe. Previously only available through doctors 
listeners, you can go to shrnetwork.biz slash biopro, that's B-I-O-P-R-O, and use code SHR30 for $30 off today. New Mass Pro Synthogen X2 just upped its own legendary game. To distance itself even further from the rest of the pack, Synthogen X2 now has double the key active ingredients. If you've ever wondered what steroid-like recovery feels like, Synthogen X2 delivers. See why others compare it favorably to powerful bodybuilding drugs at Synthogen.com. Mass Pro Synthogen. When you train with it, you'll gain with it. Never before has a product been so appropriately named as Botanic Tonics Feel Free. This plant-based elixir combines a variety of different effective compounds, all from raw plant materials that at different doses provide you with completely different experiences. A third of a bottle puts you in the zone and makes you very focused and is ideal for a non-stimulating pre-workout. It also has a mild analgesic effect for us older lifters who have soreness and little pains and aches that keep us from training as ferociously as we want. A half a bottle will create a mild euphoric effect that will allow you to forego consuming alcohol but still be socially lubricated and have fun. I have never had a product deliver on its name the way Botanic Tonics Feel Free does and I won't ever be without it and you shouldn't either. Go to shrnetwork.biz slash feel free and use the code SHR40 for 40% off your first order. I promise you you will not be disappointed. The Hercules pre-workout from Lost Empire Herbs is like no pre-workout you have ever had before. Completely natural formula designed specifically to optimize workouts, provide quicker recovery time, provide adequate nutrition, and get you away from all those no-good, overstimulating pre-workout supplements on the market today. The Hercules pre-workout blend is a mix of extracted natural herbs and mineral pitch. No fake colors, no added flavors, nothing else. Not only will Hercules pre-workout formula help your workouts, but you'll likely discover lots and lots of side effects, beneficial side effects. Go to shrnetwork.biz slash lost empire today to learn more. Being superhuman means being conscientious about the choices we make. White Oak Pastures is superhuman when it comes to raising livestock. They're committed to animal welfare, land regeneration, and rural revival. They responsibly manage the entire process from the pasture to your doorstep. High quality pasture raised great tasting meat from a farm you can trust. Full nose-to-tail selections. They even have options for your pet. Go to shrnetwork.biz slash white oak and use the code superhuman. Spit that out right now. This is the Superhuman Channel. Talk about your rebuttal. So what, what, give us the Reader's Digest version. What did you say about that article presented by the AHA? So, uh, look, in brief historical context, this is this is not really a paper about coconut oil. Coconut oil is, is the rebranding section of what is a reiteration of a half century of policy around saturated fat. And the historical context is that in the 1950s, there was very strong advocation from some scientists of the idea that high cholesterol causes heart disease and animal fats raise cholesterol levels and therefore they're going to give you heart disease. And eventually that turned into, first it was fat, then it was animal fat or saturated fat, et cetera. And in 1957, the American Heart Association said, look, you haven't done any controlled studies showing that these fats lead to heart disease. You've shown a correlation with cholesterol. You show cholesterol levels correlate with heart disease. You're not showing any cause and effect relationship. And what you need is a clinical trial to show that. And then in 1961, four years later, they totally reversed course and said, 
people at risk of heart disease should replace saturated fat with polyunsaturated fat in their diet. And literally nothing changed in the state of evidence between those two things. And so periodically since then, the American Heart Association has reiterated their basically the same position on saturated fat that they that they developed in 1961, which at that time was simply because, you know, there were changes in who was on the committee and who was writing the report. Uh, but between then and now, there has been a bunch of clinical trials that were done. And the problem has been that they don't really support the idea <laughs> that you should replace saturated fat with polyunsaturated fat. So, so the, you know, the stance that the AHA took in 1957 was very conservative. The stance that they took in 1961, when there was a shift in who was on the committee, became very activist. And they ran their position ahead of the evidence. And then we wound up in a, in a position where the evidence starts coming in. And the AHA is going to have egg on their face if they have to change course. Because the longer it goes on and on and on, the longer they've been maintaining this position for decades. And, of course, they don't want to look, they don't want to, you know, come out and say, well, we were premature. We were wrong. Like, yeah, exactly. We, we, we were so, wrong. We were wrong is not a term in the vernacular of most organizations that take up a, yeah. a, a, a disease cause. They never, they, they never come out and go, we were wrong. We were wrong. They move on. They change their position, but they never say, oh, we were wrong for suggesting shock treatments to the mentally ill. You know, they never say that. You know, moving on is, is a great, uh, is a great example of what, what has largely happened around polyunsaturated fats, although not in the case of the American Heart Association. So at that time, it was clear from experimental evidence that you could lower someone's cholesterol by replacing saturated fat with polyunsaturated fat in their diet. Then you had a series of trials that were done to try to show that that leads to protection against heart disease. And the longest trial that was ever done was the LA Veterans Administration Hospital study. And that study was also one of the best studies that was done because it was one of only two double-blind studies. The only other double-blind study only lasted about a year, and this lasted eight years. So this is like the cream of the crop of these studies. And what they found was that, on the one hand, as you switch the oils there was a protective effect of heart disease that largely showed up in the early days. And then as you went on and on and on, as people got older and had been consuming the oils for longer, uh, you started seeing cancer rise. Mm. And the cancer really started taking off after people had been eating the oils for five to seven years. And then the trial stopped at eight years. And so the authors themselves said that the question of whether you should prevent heart disease by replacing saturated fat with polyunsaturated fat remained unresolved in part because of this unresolved question about whether the oils were toxic because they, their, their evidence seemed to suggest that they can promote cancer. And so if you go back to what people were saying in the 1950s and even 60s, it was very popular at one point to recommend corn oil for your health. Yeah. And, you know, I remember, I remember talking about this with my grandparents and my grandparents were like, yeah, corn oil. They always told us to use corn oil. And if you look at mainstream science after that point, uh, the advocation of 
of corn oil certainly kind of falls off a cliff. But the application of polyunsaturated fat in general started to fall off a cliff and it, and it got replaced by monounsaturated fats as the good fat. Right. So in the, in the old days, they, they said saturated, bad, polyunsaturated, good. But then they got the, this big long study that seemed to suggest that the polyunsaturates might cause cancer. And they didn't come out and say, no, that thing, that corn oil we told you to take, throw it in the trash. They just stopped advocating corn oil. And then you see this quiet emergence of olive oil as the new darling because it's high in monounsaturated fat. Now, I'm not saying olive oil isn't good or monounsaturated fat's not good. I'm just saying that if you look at history, it's a perfect example of not saying we were wrong and coming out and moving on in a way that that just sweeps what was done before under the rug. Yeah, and it, it because they don't want to be held culpable. Because let's be honest, if um, I, I've said this a million times on my show over the past twelve years, Dr. Paul Dudley White, you know who he is, right? Familiar. Uh, he started the American Heart Association. He brought the electrocardiogram to the United States from from Paris. Um, he wrote a position paper in the thirties saying to stop using Crisco and lower the consumption of sugar because this was the reason for the rise in heart attacks. And at that time, he was saying, return to animal fats, return to natural fats, stay away from corn oil, stay away from vegetable oils. No one paid attention to him. And so what happens is these organizations that make policy and make suggestions on policy, American Heart Association. I mean, you name it, you know, there's one for every disease state today, right? American Cancer Society. They're afraid. They, they, they never want to go, you know what? We were wrong. We actually may have shortened lives with our suggestions 50 years ago because we live in a litigious nation. People will come out and sue them. They will say, Hey, you created policy. You told doctors, you told people, and you told them things that hurt them. It's, yeah, it's that, it's that, and, but it's also, I mean, first of all, none of us want to admit we were wrong. You know, like I have to try to, to be humble enough to do that. I do it, but it's, you know, it's something I work on. It's not just like my base instinct to admit whenever I'm wrong. But in, I think in the socio dynamics here, not only is there the potential for lawsuits, but the real threat is the funding's just going to dry up. Yeah. Right. So, so DARE's been in the news recently and, you know, the DARE program kind of dried up or is drying up because there was a bunch of research showing that it wasn't stopping people from doing drugs. The AHA comes out and says, we were hurting people with the last 50 years of our recommendations. Why would they, why would people continue to donate money to them? Because you know, you don't like people are donating money to them because they see them as the leaders in, in, uh, you know, they've gotten us this far. They're going to get us to the next step. And when you have, uh, a massive program that all this money is going to and you come out and you just say, well, it's, it's not only is it not effective, but it's been making things worse. That's a serious risk to. Yeah. But who, but who cares? They should. So, so I'm listening to you as a listener right now. And what's going through my mind is they should be put out of business or they should, every organization out there that makes health policy suggestions should run the risk 
of being put out of business when they're found out to be wrong because that is the checks and balances of life. If they are, because these organizations, they have deep ties to industry. They are influenced by industry. We found that out. We did a show a couple of years ago about the soda industry influencing, you know, uh, certain organizations decisions on, on sugar policies. And so they should go out of business. They, 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 they have failed to provide the service job one that they were supposed to. They should go out of business. I mean, really, I'm not being, I'm not being flippant or, or anything. I mean, that is how things work. When you lie, you get punished. When you make mistakes, so what would end up happening is these organizations moving forward, but wait, these organizations moving forward wouldn't say things in absolute terms. You know what I love about scientists? They very rarely say things in absolute terms because they know tomorrow a study could show that I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, this, I mean, this isn't, so this isn't, you know, this, this is a position paper. It's not an experimental paper. No, I understand. So so it's, they're, they're taking a position as a public health organization. And so that's a, that's a totally different ballgame in terms of how you couch your language. But you know, I, I think if you read this paper, like they're, the authors of this paper came really strongly against sugar in that article. And yet, if you look at who's got the American Heart Association stamp of heart healthy, it doesn't look like the American Heart Association is against sugar, right? So there's, you know, these, like, like the sci- I think the scientists who wrote that paper, I think probably are good scientists, but you, they're probably negotiating what goes in that paper with other people in, in the AHA who have other priorities. And on top of that, the, you know, the actual decision of who to give the stamp to on their cereal box is not primarily driven by the scientists. The scientists provide input. I mean, that's, that's even clear with like the dietary guidelines, for example, the dietary guidelines, uh, from, uh, USDA and Department of Health, Health and Human Services, they, they come, they have a dietary guidelines committee of scientists that writes a report that the, that the uh, act, I'm sorry, I forget the names of the committees. There's a scientific advisory committee that writes a report that the actual committee who writes the guidelines gets, and they, they take what they want from that report, and then, you know, there's further negotiations, and that's what comes out. So, um, you know, we can't know the, the inner workings of the mechanics, but certainly something like this has many different interests competing, and the scientists are only playing part of that role. Okay, I want to take our next commercial break. I want to change directions completely now. Um, I want to talk about your blog post that states did low carb oh, kill sure. kill the Lakers. That's I'm a good. that's a fun one. So we're gonna take one quick commercial break. We'll be right back with more of Dr. Chris Masterjohn. Stay tuned. I would easily say that I am the hugest proponent you will ever meet to doing anything that will improve the quality of my sleep. And that's because sleep is linked to just about every metabolic disorder we see in our population today. One of the easiest things you can do to improve the quality of your sleep is to get a pillow that can be shaped into the exact form factor that allows you to get your best night's sleep. And that is my pillow. I've been sleeping with my pillow for a few years now, and I can tell you that when I have to 
travel and stay in hotels, I don't get a good night's sleep because I don't have my pillow with me. Right now, you can save up to 60% off of everything offered to improve the quality of your sleep at shrnetwork.biz slash mypillow when you use the code SHR. Or you can call toll-free 800-889-4938. And remember to use code SHR to save up to 60% off of everything at their website. Dogs should be powered by fat and protein, not carbs. That's why Visionary Pet makes low-carb, ketogenic dog food for dogs of all breeds and life stages. From kibble to freeze-dried and even low-carb treats, all Visionary Pet recipes are very low-carb, ketogenic, and made with 100% real meat protein. Shop now and use code SHR for 20% off your first order today. Your dog deserves the lifelong benefits of optimal nutrition. Make the switch to Visionary and see why smart dogs eat low-carb. GHKCU is one of the most effective peptides for rebuilding more youthful skin, reversing skin damage, diminishing wrinkles, and tightening loose skin. I personally use RestoraCell with GHKCU every day. It's making an undeniable difference in the quality of my skin. RestoraCell is fantastic for all types of skin. Now you can order RestoraCell and save 25% when you use the code SHR25. That's SHR25. While you may be diligent in your workouts and your diet, don't neglect what people see first and foremost, and that's your skin. Go to shrnetwork.biz slash blue and use code SHR25 today. Remember those rectangular toaster pastries you used to love when you were a kid? Well, Legendary Foods has just made them better. The new cake-style tasty pastry is like nothing you've ever had before. With 20 grams of high-quality protein and less than one gram of sugar, you'll feel like you're cheating, but you're not. Go to shrnetwork.biz slash legendary and use the code SHR10 to save to save 10% off your purchase of tasty pastries. Now available in cookies and cream, red velvet cake, birthday cake, blueberry, strawberry, brown sugar cinnamon, and hot fudge sundae. Go to shrnetwork.biz slash legendary and use code SHR10 today. There have been no new innovations in men's underwear for hundreds of years. That's all about to change with sheath. Sheath creates two separate compartments for your man stuff so it doesn't get smashed into a mound and sweaty and stinky. I won't wear any other underwear now that I've learned about sheath, and you won't either. Go to shrnetwork.biz slash sheath underwear. That's S-H-E-A-T-H-U-N-D-E-R-W-E-A-R. Use code SUPERHUMAN to save 20% off. I promise you, once you try a pair of sheath underwear, you will never wear anything else. P3OM from Bioptimizers is a patented prebiotic and probiotic supplement with Lactobacillus plantarum OM. It has now been upgraded to P3OM 2.0 with the addition of a superfood formulation that makes it two times stronger as well as optimizes L plantarum strength. So it's more powerful than ever, which means that not only will it help you completely digest all animal proteins, it also reduces cortisol, causes deep relaxation and better sleep and reduces stress. Go to shrnetwork.biz slash P3 hyphen OM today and use the code SHR10 to save 10% off. Evolutionary selection pressures have changed to where you get your information from. Because based on where you get your information from, you'll make choices that will impact you and your family, their longevity and their health. And two and 300 years from now, the people who will still be contributing to the gene pool will be what are considered the wisest. It's now survival of the wisest. But wisest is a dangerous term because everybody thinks they're wise. It really is survival of the people who are getting the right information. That is the new evolutionary selection pressure. And people like Dr. Chris Masterjohn are contributing 
to what will be two and three hundred years from now, a better, healthier, stronger population. So I just want people to understand when we do these shows, it's not just entertainment. This is really good information, but now we're going to be entertaining a little bit. So you wrote a blog post recently asking if low carb killed the Lakers. Why did you write it? And what, and what was the purpose? Um, it it kind of came out of what I'm doing with my master class with master John energy metabolism series. And so I'm doing a comprehensive course that if you, I mean, you, you can pop in in the middle of it and watch some of the videos, but it would be way easier if you start from the beginning. It's, uh, I just recorded the 28th video in it and the Lakers video came after the 17th and 18th lessons. And I'm, I'm always looking at the biochemical details from the perspective of how can I make this relevant? So it's more interesting and more memorable and more practical. And so in the 17th and 18th videos, which came out the two days before the Lakers video, I looked at the biochemistry and physiology of energy utilization during exercise and sports. And the first lesson was on the biochemical principles. The second one was on the evidence. And that second one on the evidence was mostly looking at controlled trials of what happens when you replace carbohydrate with fat or protein to your sports performance. But it was an interesting historical example to tack on to the last three minutes of that video, this anecdote about what happened to the Lakers. And I was like, look, there's tons of people who would watch this video if I just made one that was shorter about the Lakers than who would watch my long energy metabolism videos. So I just wanted to throw it out there as a hook to get some people interested. And honestly, uh, it did that. Like there's lots of people who are, wa- who are watching my energy metabolism videos now that weren't before because that got them interested. So, so look, the situation is this. Um, the science is super, super clear that glucose is absolutely essential for peak intensity under, under certain conditions. And really the only conditions where that doesn't apply is when you're doing something really intense that's only lasting a few seconds. So if you're doing a one rep max on a squat or a bench press or something like that, you're going to burn through your creatine supply. And if you rest five minutes and do it again, you're going to regenerate your creatine supply and you're not going to need to use that much glucose. But when you're in a basketball game or even, or even if you're doing something that's continuous running, if you're actually in a race, where you're trying to compete with the other person, eventually, you know, like let's say two people are racing and they're, it's a long race, so you're good at using aerobic metabolism where it's easy to burn fat. Well, if you're trying to race faster than the other person, then each of you is going to go a little bit faster until you're pushed into your anaerobic threshold where you're going to start burning glucose to get the extra edge for peak intensity. So in most cases, glucose is necessary for peak intensity. And, and I looked at a lot of a lot of controlled trials, and I think you know there it hasn't been studied that well. But really, all you can say for for ketogenic diets or high fat diets in sports performance is that they don't hurt your endurance. But you can say that when you're defining endurance as pedal on this stationary bike until you can no longer pedal sixty revolutions per minute and you give up. Well, keto doesn't hurt that, right? But in a basketball game, there's studies of what happens to your physiology in basketball. And what happens is you have hundreds or thousands of movements, distinct movements, 
that each lasts two seconds. Like you run for two seconds, you jog for two seconds, you walk for two seconds, you jump for two seconds, you throw the ball for two seconds. And all of these are a mix of high, medium, and low intensity. And yeah, you might spend half the game off the court, but you're never spending enough off the court at one time to be fully regenerating your creatine supply once you blow through it in the first rounds of six two-second high-intensity movements and you start burning glucose. And so if you look at basketball players' lactate levels, by halftime, they go to five, six, seven times higher than what they are at the beginning of the game, and they stay pretty elevated to the end of the game. And that's because if they're doing competitive basketball, they're always tapping into glucose utilization to burn into lactate for quick fuel. And so, so look, the Lakers, in 2013, they went low carb. And a zillion other things happened, right? There were exchanges of players. Kobe Bryant got hurt and he was out. He played six games that year. Like, all kinds of stuff is going on. And I'll be the first to admit, I made this video having some expertise in biochemistry and physiology and have zero expertise in basketball. So you, I mean, you get anyone to debate me on the politics of the team and they'll slaughter me in an instant. Right. But I, so I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that low carb had to be the one thing that made the performance crash, but the performance crash post 2013 is literally unprecedented. They, like I drew a line of 40% of games won and they had only dipped below that line on three occasions since 1948. And we're talking the whole history of the team. Right. Not right. once in the history of the entire team did they ever fall below that line for two seasons in a row. And post-2013, they fell below that line for four seasons in a row. And what I'm saying is this. Look, there could be 3,000 other things that contribute to that dip in performance. But number one, it's not a dip. It's a binary catastrophic devastation of their performance that never happened in their history. And number two, everything about science says that if you adapt a philosophy for a pro basketball team that has as its carbohydrate goal a maximum of 25%, which is how it was articulated in, in, in what I was able to find, instead of a minimum to get during your games or to replete glycogen or something like that, you would predict that it would devastate the performance. So it's a historical anecdote. It's not a scientific experiment, but it's an interesting way to look at it. No, it is, it is, it is, it is. And you know, um, uh, Keto is all the rage today, obviously. And uh, I, I jokingly said during an interview with Dr. Marty Pasquale the other day that if you opened up a car dealership and it was failing, you know, under the name, you know, under, under Chris Massage on Pontiac, just put Chris Massage on Keto. Ketogenic Pontiac, and because because it, everybody is trying to leverage ketogenic. We have people. I've seen people on Facebook, uh, who their core business has nothing to do with diet, that are going keto and checking blood ketones. And hey, check in with me tomorrow. I'm going to check my blood ketones. It's like it's 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 almost to the peak frenzy that paleo was before paleo just became sensible again. And mm -hmm. so, you know. I know people who are really. There's, in, I, there's, there's people in the paleo world who think the paleo thing to do is just take exogenous ketones so you can put yourself in a ketogenesis without diet. Well, and then that, and that, you know, there, there is a place for ketone supplements, uh, treating brain cancer. Uh, there, there are places for ketone supplements. No, I'm not saying there's not. I'm just saying that there's a corner of paleo where that's what paleo is. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Uh, I know people who are very intelligent and follow a ketogenic diet 
who use things like cluster dextrin before training or some sort of carbohydrate supplement. And they have, I know a guy who actually used a blood glucometer to determine his appropriate dose before working out that he would burn up all of that glu, that, that gl- glucose he produced from his supplement by the time he was done training so that he could push his body back into a state where it would uh, be uh, ketogenic again and start to, to produce its own ketones. So the, the really smart people in the keto community, they know what you're talking about. They agree with what you're talking about. And they're using sophisticated carbohydrate supplements that have specific times of release and delivery to use uh, pre and intra workout for that reason. Yeah, I mean, if if you're going to do the self experimentation to figure out what's going to maximize your performance, go ahead and do that. It's just in the, it's just in this case there's there's some there's this ideology around fat adaptation where people just talk about fat adaptation and don't actually understand the biochemistry of what happens. And you know, I did I couldn't go into all the science in that Lakers video, but the two videos that came out before it, it went into great depth of why you can't use ketones to fuel the quick energy that you get from anaerobic glycolysis. This is physiologically impossible. You can keto, there's a thing that's keto adaptation or fat adaptation, but everything about physiology says you can't fat adapt that role of glucose in that context. And you really, there's nothing obvious about that. You need to study the science to understand that. So there's people who really understand the science, but Look, I mean, I think what you have in that case is there's a really strong influence about what's natural and what's paleo and what's, you know, what the human body can run on all, you know, all based on really sound principles of what's nutritious. And look, it's not natural to play pro basketball. Yeah. Good point. It's not, it's not yeah. you know, and so you, you have to study that this exercise physiology and you can't just ignore everything known about it because paleo man didn't play basketball on cards. Like paleo man didn't play basketball. Yeah. Paleo man didn't wipe his own ass. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. And it, it is, it's funny because um, I had an interesting discussion with uh, Leslie Aiello probably about 10 years ago when she was still with the Wenner Gren foundation. And we were talking about, because paleo was really becoming popular. I had already had Lauren Cordain on the show a few times. He, in fact, he introduced me to her. And she said, you know, um, this idea of eating paleo today is, is impossible. She said, because food has changed. She said, our paleo ancestors ate an apple that was more like, uh, a, a fiber biscuit that had very little sugar in it. Uh, and, and didn't, what didn't resemble anything that, what apples are today that have been hybridized and selected for their sweetness and their color and their juiciness. And so this notion that we're eating paleo today is really a, is really a dream state. It's, it's a fantasy. And, 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 but why would, but why would we want to eat paleo today? Why wouldn't we want to leverage what's good about today and understand what was good about yesterday and bring them together? So I agree with you, but I have a little bone to pick with that argument. So that's true of an apple. But but we didn't evolve in the temperate regions that apples evolved in. If you look at the tropics, you had more access to sugar in more ancient times because of the types of fruits that grew there. I'm not saying that bananas haven't been enriched in sugar. I'm just saying that there were sweet fruits that were not quite as fiber biscuit as the paleo apple in the temperate zone when humans were were evolving in equatorial regions. 
But also, you know, that it's not just true with sugar. Like kale, how paleo is kale? Kale was invented in the Middle Ages through selective breeding. So, and, and kale's not sugary. So right. it's just true. It's just true that everything has been evolving. And, you know, as humans have evolved to be more intelligent and use tools and use tools like selective breeding, humans have massively accelerated our own evolution as well as the evolution of all the plants around us. And who knows? I mean, we probably had a cultural impact on chimpanzees too. I mean, certainly like, certainly the foods they have access to around human settlements make their life different. So, Everything's always changing, but I think that, you know, there's, there's different people mean different things by paleo. And to me, what's sensible about paleo is not this idea that we should replicate whatever the, the paleo, uh, foods were, which is impossible. But I think there's, there's this other wing of paleo where you more in the academic wing, especially where the idea at the core is that we need to study where we came from to understand who we are now and where we're going. And so this idea that much of human disease results in a mismatch from our current environment and what we were evolutionarily adapted for, I think is extremely scientifically sound. And if that doesn't necessarily lead you to the content of whatever was described in the first paleo book of what you should eat, but it's a core principle that you can use for continually studying that idea and with, you know, and have a continuing continuing evolution about what it means to take what we know from it, our ancestors and apply it. Today. I'm going to throw some, some dietary templates at you. And I just want you to give me a stream of consciousness. Are they appropriate for humans? Uh, are there upsides, downsides? Uh, what do you think? So the first one is the obvious one I'm going to say to you is uh, paleo. Uh, so, so paleo, like I said before, it means a lot of different things to a lot of people. I think, I think if someone's thinking of paleo as don't eat grains, don't eat legumes, don't eat dairy, uh, and that's the sum of it, then, you know, I, I think that it can be great for people with food intolerances. I think the biggest drawback is a lot of people aren't getting enough calcium. I think there's a lot of BS in the paleo world about how our diet isn't deficient in calcium because you don't actually need that much. And a lot of people need more than they're getting when they're doing paleo. So I think, you know, you gotta, you gotta look, you gotta look out. Whenever you restrict whole food groups, you increase the risk of micronutrient deficiencies. But paleo is a fairly decent way to restrict food groups because you do wind up eating more vegetables and, and a greater diversity of different carbohydrate sources if you're not going low carb. And like many non-grain carbs are much more balanced in their nutrition than grains are. So. I think it can often be a net benefit. You just got to watch out for certain nutrients, particularly calcium. Okay. Then the, all the rage today, the ketogenic diet. I think uh, keto is not a natural diet for any humans. Like we said before, it, uh, you know, that doesn't matter necessarily if you want to read the benefits of, of science that you know today. So I think it's important to recognize it in context that, no one, even the Inuit, have ever been shown to be ketogenic on their traditional diets. And so this is a new tool that grew out of the re research on how to help people with refractory epilepsy. And it's being broadened in its applications to other things. But I think you want to keep in mind that it's, I would not prescribe it for general health because there's no track, like there's track records of people eating more fat or more carbohydrate in their traditional diets and that being consistent with good health, there's no such track record for keto. 
And I think that keto, you know, if you're getting, if you have specific goals that justify keto and you're getting benefits from it, then all the more power to you. But I think a lot of people are going out there and just doing keto for general health. And I think that's a little bit cuckoo because you can, you don't need to do, do an extreme diet like that for general health. So I think it has a lot of promise for neurological disorders. You know, refractory epilepsy is super clear. There's some hints that maybe it's good for Alzheimer's and other neurological disorders like that. There are some anecdotes of people who had chronic brain fog when they got an infection and then keto helped that. I, I have uh, consulting clients who had serious neurological problems from mold and keto helped them a lot for a period of time. So I'm pretty bullish on its ability to help neurological problems in specific contexts. I'm pretty bearish on most other uses of it. Uh, I think Maybe it has some place in certain types of cancers, but people are generalizing way too much from that to say that it's a general treatment of cancer, and I don't believe that's true. I think keto can be an effective tool for weight loss, but so can dozens of other things. And so I don't think it's a specific tool for weight loss. And, you know, sports performance, I think people can do well in sports performance if they do it smartly, like the guy you were talking about before. But I wouldn't say that if you take a random sample of people who care about sports performance and you put them all on keto, that you're going to have net average benefit from the ketogenic diet. So. so since we're talking about highly restrictive diets, how about the vegan diet? Uh, vegan diet, I, would, I, I wouldn't I would recommend anyone in the entire earth go on a vegan diet. And the reason is, is simple. I'm, now, I'm not saying I would try to get everyone on the entire earth to not eat a vegan diet. I wouldn't. I'm just saying I, there's not a person on the earth who I would recommend change from a non-vegan diet to a vegan diet. And the reason is that, yes, you can do well on a vegan diet if you happen to win a genetic lottery that allows you to harness all of the nutrients you need from plant foods with no problem, and you have some way of getting B12 by eating dirt or whatever, um, or taking a supplement. Right. But there are lots of, there are a lot of genetic variations in the ability to derive different nutrients from plant foods. And those include especially vitamin A, uh, especially essential fatty acids, especially uh, vitamin B6. And your, and then there are another set of nutrients that are just easier to get with animal foods. And that includes things like zinc, for example. Uh, or enough protein or enough of specific amino acids. And so if I were actually talking to someone who, who wanted to go vegan, I would try to understand what they care about. Because I really don't think that there's any value that anyone has that can't be met in a more nutritionally robust way. So for example, let's say someone read the China study and they're convinced that the key to health is to only eat 2% of your diet or less as animal products. If So T. Colin Campbell in the China study says, well, if it's 2%, you might as well not eat any of animal products because it's easier. Right. Well, actually, if you will want that 2% to clams and oysters uh, twice a month, you're going to be way less likely to get a deficiency, a real serious deficiency of zinc and vitamin B12 just from a couple meals a month. Right. So, so I think if you want to eat a, an overwhelmingly plant-based diet, there's better ways to do it than veganism that, that are going to get you the nutrition that you need. If, if that's your only 
uh, value is just eating few animal products. I'd say also throw in a serving of liver a couple times a month. Mm-hmm. Three small serving, four small servings of animal products one, once a month total. Once liver, once oysters, once clams, and then you take your pick. Now, alternatively, maybe someone doesn't want to eat anything that has a face. So the liver's out because most things that have liver have faces. That person can still eat shellfish because shellfish don't have any faces. And, but what about, but what about, what about, what about eggs and dairy? I mean, um, uh, you know the uh, the Hunza, they're lacto vegetarians. They live to be 130 years old. Yeah, they Hunza milk cows. Well, well, look. So, like, if you're sure, if so, eggs and dairy is a great way to get a lot of nutrition in. The thing is, with eggs and dairy, you need to eat a lot of eggs and dairy in order to get that nutrition in, right? So, you can't get adequate nutrition if eggs and dairy are your only animal products. If your goal is also to keep animal products below two percent. Uh. Okay. If you want to make eggs and dairy 20% of your diet, then you can get all the nutrition you need from that. But if you care about the welfare of animals, then you should stop eating eggs and dairy before you stop eating meat. I mean, give me a break. Like, you know what they do to the males that, that come from the mothers of the laying hens? They put them on a conveyor belt into like a wood chipping shredder. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. But like, there's not, like, eggs and dairy is far more inhumane from an animal welfare perspective than meat is. So it, it's, it, it would it would be sensible to do that if that's what your nutritional philosophy is that you believe that eating no meat and eating twenty percent of your your diet as eggs and dairy is going to get you to, to a healthy and healthy and longevity then sure eat eggs and dairy right but, but most people who are coming at least from my experience most people who want to be vegan are doing it either for health reasons, because of books like by any of these vegans like Dr. Barnard or Dr. Furman or, or Dr. Campbell. And all of those people are saying they have different cutoff limits, but like Joel Furman says keep it below 10%. Uh, Tico and Campbell says keep it below 2%. So they're all about low animal products, and you're not going to, none of the major influences in the vegetarian vegan world are saying eat 20 to 30% of your diet is eggs and dairy. Right. So I just think that if someone's going to eat super small amounts of animal foods, then they can get a lot of nutrition by just picking from among the most intensively nutrient-dense foods on the planet, and that's liver and certain shellfish, especially oysters and clams. I didn't know that. That's amazing. I didn't know I didn't know about the shellfish. I, I love oysters, and I love clams, raw clams. Yep. Um, so that that's really good to know. I'll say on a practical level, you would actually be – because there's a limit to how much you can absorb, it's actually better to divide up those clams into into meals. But like if you took one meal's worth of clams and you divided them into six meals during the week, even if you put them all on the weekend, and so you're still only eating like 100 grams of clams once a month, that's that's pretty much meeting your default requirement. Do you have a diet that you uh, – do you have a dietary template that fits the way you eat. Like, are you more of a Mediterranean type diet, or or do you do you just you just do what you want to do? Which Mediterranean diet? The one that the American researchers invented, or the one that no, the one that the one that the Europeans uh, uh, eat, which includes cheese, which is you know it's supposed to be bad for you, and red meat and fish and wine and, and stuff like that. Yeah, um, I you know I I don't actually my diet's really utilitarian and practical, and I look at it from 
I, there are there are core principles that I believe about nutrition, and then on top of that, I choose what's practical for me when I use it at any point. Uh, so a lot of the stuff that I eat right now is all driven around the fact that I'm in the early stage of operating the business, and I can't allot three hours of food prep and cooking and eating and cleaning up a day. So, I mean, I get my greens by taking a uh, ready-to-eat box of greens and putting them all on a plate and eating with my hand pretty much. Right, yeah. right. More, more than that. Um, so, so I, you know, I, I, I don't follow a particular nutritional template except that I follow a, a handful of rules. So I think most of your food should be from whole foods, you know, shouldn't be refined junk. Um, I think there are certain food groups that are really important to emphasize. And so I think it's important to eat a lot of vegetables, especially greens, I think play a really important role. I think, you know, I think I need, most people need to get a certain amount of protein and it's just really helpful to have animal products to, to meet that protein. And, you know, I try to hit those marks. I think fat and carbs are really flexible. I eat more carbs when I'm working out more at high intensity, less when I'm not. I really judge that by whatever I need to feel like I'm not getting a stress response and my sleep is good and everything like that. Uh, I judge my calorie intake by largely by that. You know, sometimes I care about my body composition, but I care way more about whether I feel good and not sleeping. Um, and then, you know, I think, I think organ meats are really important to get into the diet yeah. and I think bones are really important to get into the diet. But Hey, for some people that means taking 15 capsules of liver, you know, freeze dried liver a day. For other people, it means eating liver once a week in a full serving. And for, for me, a lot of times it just means actually I ran out a few weeks ago and kind of reordered. I got to do that. But my, my mainstay for organ meats is to use liverwurst that I just thought out and eat a little bit each day. And it's got a blend of organ meats that, that are, you know, super nutritious for me. So there's a handful of principles like that, but I'm otherwise pretty flexible, uh, in terms of figuring out what I need at the moment and whatever is helping me meet that. Is there anything else that you want to cover before we sign off? I don't know, man. I think this was good. You know, I think we ended on a good note and that's that everyone has different nutritional needs. You've got to be conscious about what you're choosing for your diet and you've got to constantly reevaluate whether your diet's actually meeting your needs. You know, it's easy, super easy for any of us to get stuck in a rut in our, in our own beliefs and, and either not even evaluate at all whether something's working for us, but we just read that something is good or something is bad. And then, you know, when we get over that, we can often get ourselves into a rut by thinking outside the box and then thinking ourselves all the way into a new box. So I, I think that, that philosophical point is a, is a pretty good place to end. You know, look at what your diet is doing for you and, and always be reevaluating what you need your goals. Chris, thanks so much for being on the show, man. And that's the end of today's show. We'll see everybody tomorrow with more Superhuman Radio. Thank you for listening today.